Yes, welcome back to How Did I Get Here? This is, of course, the show where we're asking people, well, how did you get here? We've got a pretty good guest joining us today. <laughs> I don't know why I said pretty good. It's a very special guest today. Sefer Majayev, uh, he's a speaker, TikTok creator, former teacher, uh, works with a lot of different brands. He's also a wedding photographer. Sefer, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Let's start right at the beginning. So you moved to WA at a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that transition go for you? So I was seven years old, uh, moving out of uh, Russia, mm-hmm. um, former Soviet Union, then known as Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. And I uh, moved here uh, in 96, 97. Yeah. Didn't know how to speak English. And then just got thrown in the deep end. And um, shout outs to my year one teacher, Mrs. Weir. Yeah. Got, got the, uh, took the, the reins and ta- taught me how to talk. Yeah. English spoke spoke English, and then uh, away I went. Um, didn't know what was going on at the time, but I was just somewhere new. Mm. I miss my grandparents dearly, but uh, yeah, transition was pretty smooth in the scheme of things. Sound like you got a pretty good handle on English now. Yeah. Uh, how long did that take? I honestly don't remember, but mm. like by year two, I remember having you know having friends and talking with them, and yeah. everything was great. Like yeah. there wasn't actually in year one, uh, one of the kind of earliest memories of uh, me not understanding English is the year sevens would teach me words that weren't quite <laughs> specific words. Yeah, yeah. they weren't right, the right words, and uh, yeah, I got uh, thrown into the office a couple times, and mm-hmm. my parents would come in uh, in a meeting because I was uh, doing different. Uh, they taught me some sign language uh, <laughs> as well, so um, I got in trouble for that in year one. But the teachers quickly caught on that I was a foreign kid and they were just taking advantage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Kyrg- Kyrgyzian, yep. living here in WA. Mm-hmm. What's early childhood like, especially for somebody who's moved from that area of the world here in WA? Yeah, it's a lot different. Mm. So, I've been back a few times. Yeah. And Ky- Kyrgyzstan is, you, you go you go there and it's really cheap to live there yeah. if you're you know coming from the Western world. But over there, it's like... a almost a bartering system you do something for someone and then they kind of do things for you 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 get a job and, and some jobs over there they pay you every six months right it's not monthly not weekly or whatever it's six months and there's yeah it's communism yeah real communism and over here it's like oh you don't want a job sweet you, you here is centrelink right here for you yeah over there no no chance so you do or you don't mm. you don't survive if you don't yeah. So as a kid, you spend time in Kalgoorlie. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people across the country, you know, uh, that's a mining town, middle yep. of the desert. What's that like for you as a kid? Yeah, so in, uh, just before high school started, yeah, um, mum got a job as a teacher there. Yeah. And yeah, we moved. All my mates that I'd um, accumulated in, in primary school, I wasn't going to go with them to high school. So I had to start again. Mm. And I had no idea what was going on, but I was keen for the challenge. I acclimatised pretty quickly. And um, and then I just began living the country life. Country kids are a bit rougher. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was fortunate because uh, not only was I, I had the foreign aspect mm. in me, the perspective, I gained a country aspect as well. Yeah. So now back in the city, I've got that three kind of perfect trifecta of different um, perspectives. Mm. If you had to describe yourself, what kind of student were you in high school? Uh, I mucked around a lot. Yeah. Um, year eight, nine, and ten, I was just enjoying myself, was having fun, and I didn't really specifically have any interests apart from video games. Mm. 
and um, yeah, me and the boys were hung out, <laughs> play rugby, basketball, you know. Then we got to an age where we just sat on the bench and just talked nonsense, and that's pretty much the entire high school journey. Um, with footy, I didn't, I, w- I didn't hang out with the jocks. Yeah, I didn't consider myself a jock. But later on, because in Kalgoorlie there's a split school system there for the public school, you've got year 8, 9 and 10, and then you've got year 11 and 12, which is the senior so side. And that um, they use the same campus as the uh, univer- uh, university, School of Mines. Year 11 and 12 was a bit different. It was a little bit more serious. It felt like you were more of an adult. Mm. Um, you could walk around crossing the roads to different campuses. It felt like a yeah university almost. Yeah. Yeah. Around this time, what aspirations are there for what you want to be, you know, when you grow up? Uh, yeah, nothing. <laughs> I, I, I went into year 11 doing uh, TE yeah. or ATAR now. Yeah. And after the first term, I was like, no, this isn't me. This isn't for me. I can't do all six, you know, high, high level classes. And, and there's a bit of about the education um, side of things that I didn't agree with at the time. Uh, the teachers would not be catering to my needs because there would be a student mucking around in the back. And then I quickly got left behind because I wasn't able to... I needed help. Mm. So then I just went back to general studies and then cruised my way through towards the end of year 12. I had to pick up my English um, class and I had to get a tutor to pass the English, funnily enough. <laughs> um, I just didn't like writing essays. Yeah. Just didn't like doing it. Um, but aspirations-wise, it was gaming. And I was a moderator on forums of random things online. I discovered um, Reddit. <laughs> and then um, I, was, I was online a lot. Mm. I was online a lot. I had an interest in making content early. And, um, and I had early entrepreneurial aspects coming out. So, uh, but, but by the end of year 12, my mum said to me, go to uni or get a job. And I just got a job mm. as a lifeguard. But before that, I had uh, all these different jobs like uh, you know, working Hungry Jacks, Jester's Pies, things like that. Worked at Bunnings for a bit. So I got the hospitality and the retail aspect uh, in the books uh, during my teenage years. I was a checkout chick at IGA. Um, and then, yeah. Um, and then I eventually evolved into, okay, lifeguarding. So yep. that was my first kind of qualification that I got. Right. Yeah, so you mentioned there, you know, the, the moderating forums on Reddit and mm. stuff. Do you, do you look back on that now and say, oh, this is why I've gotten into TikTok content creation? Yeah, it's definitely part of it. Mm. Community management is yeah. a vital aspect of uh, doing the right, like getting the content and, and nurturing the content and then building a community and that audience. I was very good at that at a young age. Mm. So I definitely think that it helped. Yeah. yeah. Just, just engaging with people in general helps. Do you have a favourite subject while you're at school? Um. Most people say sport, but I, I really liked media and photography. Yeah. So that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, but I actually was also fascinated in maths, um, although I had chemistry and physics to distract me and I had to do those subjects early on. Right. But if I had my time again, I would probably pursue maths more. Hmm. Yeah. What about least favourite subject? Least favourite would probably be English. Yeah. Um, hmm. Just didn't like essays. I didn't like the how subjective they were and how I had to write catering to what the teacher wanted yeah um even though there's some things about that that people may argue against but i just (laughs) i wasn't persuasive on uh in written form Hmm. and i'm more persuasive verbally in 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 the moment yeah yeah so you 
leave high school, you mentioned you, you spend some time lifeguarding, but then you do play footy here in mm-hmm. WA in the West Australian Footy League for Perth. Yeah. Uh, sorry, for Subiaco and West Perth, yeah. I should say. When did kind of footy become an option for you? So I was 19, walking around the pool deck mm-hmm. on my lifeguard shift halfway through the year, and I had a couple of opportunities to go play in Perth. Um, there was a country versus city sort of uh, game that yeah. I that I got that played, and I really liked it. And, and I was communicating with one of the Subiaco managers at the time, and I thought, stuff it, why don't I just move there and just give it a go there? Got a job as a lifeguard at the arena, Joondalup, mm-hmm. and yeah, was a gypsy for a little while, moving around from house to house, um, you know, uh, couch surfing, and uh, started training and went went through like that, and then uh, was playing in reserves for a while, got my first league game, and then um, started from there. Um, but then from after that, I transitioned to West Perth because I wanted somewhere closer, but also I wasn't really into the Subiaco culture, the uh, the Subiaco team's culture. Right. Um, I remember at the time I was trying to get along with the boys, um, but going back to high school, I was never the jock. I was always hanging out with my nerdy mates, my geeky friends. (laughs) We were doing like... Um, we, we we were playing Minecraft before Minecraft was popular. <laughs> we were we were playing Age of Empires and Counter Strike one point six and things like that. I had no interest in footy, and that that same thing kept happening when I went into the main. I love football as the sport, mm. but I didn't like the culture. Yeah, and I just didn't. I struggled to embed myself in that culture, and then I tried again later when I was a little bit more mature. Moved to West Perth, and I found it a little bit easier. Because I had a clean slate and I knew what they wanted, so I kind of eased my way in, fit in, but I still didn't like it. Yeah. And then that's what led to my inevitable, like, you know what, footy's not for me. Yeah. Um, Bar a few uh, uh, season-ending injuries, like an uh, ACL (laughs) reconstruction. Uh, Yes, was there a specific highlight for you in in that footy career? Something that really shines out now? Um, Playing in the Foxtel Cup was fun. Yeah. We went over to Melbourne. Um, we played at Simmons Stadium in Geelong. Uh, we got whoop, whoop, whooped, absolutely whooped. <laughs> um, played against Box Hill, and I remember uh, scoring a goal. And when um, the Tasmanian side, I think, they came over here, and I scored three goals. Um, and I remember Barry Hall was a commentator, and he was like, that, that big guy, he's, <laughs> he's, he's going to be something. And I'm like, oh, this is my chance, you know. And um, unfortunately, injuries and then my loss of passion. Mm. Um kind of killed that um as those those uh goals hmm. but um the yeah the highlight of the career was just probably footy trip actually like yeah. getting around it with the, the west perth boys was something i'll never forget yeah hmm. so eventually you do make the decision to leave footy mm. and you become a high school teacher yeah was teaching always an option for you or no. did it come around later um mum was a teacher yeah so i had the observation of what that was like from her perspective and I'm a big advocate for making sure you know the day-to-day mm. of what you want to do in life. Don't just go straight to uni just because you've got the grades to do the best subject there is uh, or the best job there is. Make sure you know the day-to-day. So I knew the day-to-day. I helped mum build relief lessons when I was in school. You know, she was sick and, and, and she'd, be, she'd be like, can you type this up for me? So I had a bit of practice and I didn't mind it. And then at the age of 24, I decided to do uni. Um, well, I didn't decide to. I got um, recommended to do it. And by then I had a personal training um, certificate three and four. 
So I didn't need an ATAR slash TE score. So I just got in through portfolio. Yeah. And I actually liked it. I loved it. I loved the teaching aspect, the practical stuff. Obviously, the theory at university needs to be fixed. There's a lot of things that are out of date there. But I know majority of the stuff that I did in the classroom from the practical stuff. Hmm. Yeah. So when you're at uni um, studying to become a teacher, obviously you're a bit older than yeah. some of the kids that are there. Yeah. Uh, do you think that experience in life kind of helped you, you know, um, become a teacher? Hundred yeah. percent. So every subject, I was that, I was that dude. I was that older dude <laughs> who was who was saying like asking all the questions and answering all the questions as well. And a lot of the kids, 18, 19 year olds, they were shy. I'm like, you, you can't be shy. You've got to go straight into the classroom. Four years from now, you're going to be 22, 23. Mm. And there was a huge difference with life experience. I had five years under my belt of different things. I had stories to tell. And I noticed that a lot of the teachers that went from high school to university back into the classroom, they didn't have many stories under their belt. Maybe uni parties and a couple of uh, Kentucky tours, but <laughs> no real life experience. And that is a problem and that's where I kind of stand where everyone needs a two-year gap between yeah. high school and university, in my right. opinion, yeah. especially teachers because um, what do they know apart from what they've learnt at uni for the topic that they've selected to pursue in education? Hmm. Uh, we had a teacher on the show last week who mentioned that while she was at uni, the favourite part and the most valuable part was the practical elements. Oh, yeah. is, that, is that how you felt as well? Uh, initially no. Yeah. Because the first, very first prac, I got, uh, I failed. Right. I, they, they failed me. My supervisor came in and he passed me, flying colours. Hmm. But my mentor, three days before the end of the prac, failed me on purpose because he had, uh, short man syndrome. Right. And he also withdrew me as like a, like a, to get to me. Right. When you withdraw, you get expelled from university. So my second year, my first prac, I was expelled from university. Really? So I was out. I battled it for three months and uh, there was a few people involved in the education system, in the sc school of education at the university I was at. Um, they no longer worked there. They got dismissed, which is great because mm -hmm. um, they, there's a lot of trauma behind that. Walking on eggshells is something I still do f from time to time because of this experience. But because that day when I got withdrawn and failed the mentor at the time, he said to me, you are detriment to children. You should not work with kids. You should reconsider your career. And then after uh, those three months, I fought it and I got it overturned. I spoke, spoke to the, the dean of the university. Mm. And she was like, there's nothing wrong with you. You, you. you know what you're talking about. You know, I had a psych analyze me and everything. So it was very traumatic, but I got over it. I, w I got back into uni. I didn't lose any months or any semesters. And then within the first year of finishing a university, I got permanency. Right. You know? Yeah. So that one person that told me I shouldn't do it didn't let it get to me and I dominated. And I wish to one day meet him again or shake his hand and go, thank you for showing me what not to do mm. as a mentor because I'm a better person for it. Yeah. So that... Do you think that built a lot of resilience in you as a, as a teacher and as a person? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's times where I still have like moments where I've got imposter syndrome, which didn't help. Like it, 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 yeah, it, it, it made it worse. Um, but it, it's also helpful because then I'm double checking. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm ensuring. I'm following up. I'm asking people, am I doing enough? And then they're going, you're doing amazing. What are you talking about? 
Yeah. You know? So that was a, a trigger that that kind of funnily enough helped me. Mm. Yeah. You you graduate, you get permanency, you start mm. working. Yep. How do you describe yourself as a young teacher? Twenty nineteen was the actually twenty eighteen uh, term four was when I got the permanency. Mm. Um, the f- the three terms previous prior to that were just relief teaching. I right. got a contract for term three at a school, and it was just as a young teacher I was disruptor. I was the disruptor. I was coming in going, "This is my idea, mm-hmm. and this is what I'm going to go for." And you don't get to learn that at Pract because you have to do what the mentors say or they fail you or withdraw you. <laughs> um, but the second two Practs that I did, they were amazing. I had a guy, Thomas, he was amazing. Great dude. We got along so well and, and that was the difference. And then I had another mentor. She wasn't the right fit, but I got through it because of my resilience from the first time. And what happened in the first year, I, I got to do my own thing. And that my own thing really worked because it landed me a contract and a permanency. And the disruption that I used in those moments is what led me to my success in 2019 as a permanent teacher. Um, I knew exactly what I needed to do. And then when I did it, I felt like I did it too well because then my building building my rapport with the kids is what led me to my next adventure. Mm. Uh, so you eventually... Oh, sorry. Uh, we'll go with this one first. Uh, your best moment teaching. Do you have one? My best moment teaching was when I figured out how to get 100% engagement from a year eight class right. of kids who weren't really interested in the maths lesson. How, how did you do that? So um, with the TikTok stuff, we'll get to in a second. We'll, we will, yeah. Um, <laughs> I figured out that the Gen Z kids and the Gen Alpha kids, so everyone born after 2010, mm-hmm. they consume information from a screen. And you can't fight against it because it's just how they grow up. Yeah. So what I did was I'd come in before school and I'd record my lesson, 15-minute second, uh, 15 minute lecture, put it on the screen and then play it to them. And they all engaged. Really? Now, some would drop out. Some would be disengaged because the pace would be too quick of the recording. Mm. So I'd go to them myself one-on-one in person. Others were still disengaged. But because it was a bring-your-own-device school, it had an iPad. So I uploaded that piece of content onto their iPad. Headphones in, they can play it, replay it, start the tasks, replay it again at their own pace. The whole hour, I don't talk to them. They do their thing. Hmm. 100% engagement. Right. That was, my, that was one of my most proudest moments. It was awesome. Yeah. We will move on to the TikTok. How does TikTok start to be a, a thing for you? When do you start doing it? Yeah. So, yeah, um, fourth term, 2018, hmm. first year as a permanent teacher at the school. One of my year tens is laughing at his crotch, and when that <laughs> happens, they're on their they're on their phone. They're on their phone. They're on their phone. So I said, "All right, let's have a look. Let's let's see what's funny." And he's on TikTok. He's lip syncing, dancing, and I'm like, "Fair enough." There's a video of him, yeah, on TikTok. Yeah, he's yeah. laughing, and then his mates are getting around him. Yeah, and I'm like, "All right, I'll g- I guess I'll get the app because my my favorite hacks were how to get attention for for the kids. I wore a different pair of shoes every day to school, and I have a big sneaker collection." And the kids caught on to that. By the second week, they'd be like, oh, what, what, what shoes are you going to wear? And I was just like, everyone knew about my sneaker collection. <laughs> but when that died down, I was looking at the next thing. Fortnite was very popular. And yeah. so was handball. Both of those things I didn't really have time for. But I had time for TikTok because I was a creator doing my photography stuff. Mm. So I started doing TikToks. And it was just a little bit here and there at the start. But then the kids found my profile. And I was like, that was easy. 
that was very quick and I didn't even tell anybody about it. So I started making more videos catered to them, like uh, things that kids say at school, the dumb things that kids say, and it went viral. Then I made one about myself of my height, being 6'10". I was walking through the aisles of Woolies. I'm like, oh, I could see over everything. How good is that? <laughs> oh, there's the pasta sauce. Viral. Then I started growing. Hit 10,000 followers, 20,000 followers. And then now we're in 2019. I'm also doing the wedding photography stuff, mm. right? And then that evolved. But um, I just really got like the best recipe for hacking the kids' attention because they were keen to see what TikToks I would make. The best thing about that was they even the, when they were sick of seeing me at school in person, they get home to unwind and scroll on TikTok and then there's me again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so was it tough eventually making that decision to go into something, you know, kind of as unique, potentially unstable as something like TikTok and content creation yep. over being a teacher? So what happened was um, halfway through 2019, I landed myself in wedding photography mm. like uh, someone asked me to be a second shooter for them I gave it a go and I really liked it then I got my own first wedding and then I really liked it so I started booking and there was a few other strategies that I did that helped me but then I gave TikTok a go and I thought well I've got 50,000 followers why not just tell them that I'm a wedding photographer I've got nothing to lose and I'm not going to tell them hire me because they're probably all kids after the first video, two days later, I had two bookings from TikTok. Right. So I doubled down. And then halfway through 2019, maybe three quarters of the way through, I had a pretty good cash flow um, projected income for 2020 for weddings. Mm. So I said to my principal, can I take a year off, you know, leave without pay? Because I was permanent. I could do that. And she goes, yeah, no problem. So start of 2020, I was like, right, I just need two bookings a month um, because 50% would to cover for the rest of the year. And then next year, the other 50% they pay when it's their wedding day, mm. I've got two years' worth of income. How good is this? And then COVID hit. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately enough, um, I was doing relief teaching every now and then because mm -hmm. I still enjoyed doing the relief teaching. Yeah. And I had said yes to one permanent class for the rest of the year before COVID hit. And I was able to uh, uh, continue on with that throughout 2020. So not only I survived COVID because of my safety net, I don't really like to call it a safety net, but it was just what happened. Um, and halfway through 2020, I was, I was able to book out two years um, worth of bookings for, for my wedding stuff, right. which gave me the flexibility to work on my own personal brand. Um, I tried to do it as a school teacher, but I needed to pay attention more to the kids. Um, but then I started, and then I walked away from the kids. Uh, well, not from the kids, but from the education system. Yeah. There's a few other aspects about that that I that helped me make that decision easier. Um, like the education system, in my opinion, is out of date, very outdated. Yeah. Um, and I had all these new ideas that I wanted to do that I knew weren't going to get pushed forward anytime soon. And I also didn't want my ideas to be taken by the education system as credit. So I was like, okay, I'll leave. I'll do my thing. I'm doing it now. And uh, when it comes time, I'll, I'll, I'll build another Elon Musk sort of school with someone. Mm. For people who might not be familiar yeah. with your TikTok yeah. um, and your content creation, mm. what do you actually put out there? Um, whatever I enjoy. Yeah. So the rule of thumb is 80% of what you enjoy doing and 20% experimental. The best formula for that is... If you enjoy making the content and your crowd, your audience likes it as well, it's a perfect formula. Mm. But eventually one will drop. 
and you can't allow that to dictate you further. So, for example, if I stop enjoying making that content but the crowd still loves it, I can't keep making it because then I'm just a circus performer. Mm. I'm a victim of social media clout yeah. and I'm just doing it for the clout, which is not right. And I see a lot of creators and influencers do that and it's the wrong thing because then they start getting depressed because they don't want to do it anymore, but they have to. Mm. Or the other way around. The market doesn't like what you do anymore, but you still love it. But that's different. Like that's your decision to make. Tinker it a little bit. So I, I do that. I just do my anything about my height, whether I fit in the shower or not, whether I fit in the car or not, eating different, you know, chicken wing reviews are very popular, um, and interviews. Interviews are all-time evergreen. Yeah. You can do interviews anytime with anyone, ask them an interesting question. You trigger them in the right way, and they give you an amazing story. You put that online, it's the best. Mm. Uh, so not only do you do the content creation, you also help other people, other brands build their social yep. awareness. How'd you get into that? So um, started last year, I was uh, pretty pleased with myself and uh, the um, the success I've had for my sales pipeline for wedding photography. Mm-hmm. I started talking about that online. There was an app called Clubhouse that came out and I started to talk on that. And most of the people are from overseas, but they gave me the confidence to, to tell me, I've got something here. I should make a course or something. I didn't make a course, but I did like consulting. I tried it out and it was working. Got my first client and then immediately after, I did a collaboration with Red Rooster because of the chicken wing thing. Yeah. Then I said to them, who, who does your TikToks? It's pretty, pretty terrible. It's pretty poor. <laughs> and like, Nobody. Do you want to do it? And I was like, okay. And then in the next three months, helped them build to... 60,000 followers, got them a few viral videos. And then that was my kind of do it for you sort of package that I discovered. Hmm. And then another client hit me up, uh, uh, a residential builder. And they said, Sev, uh, our competitors are on TikTok. We need, we want to get into this. You're the only person that we know in Australia that is kind of preaching what you need to do on TikTok. Can we hire you? Hire them for t- they hired me for 12 months and now they're the most followed residential builder in Australia on TikTok. Right. So I was like, okay, I've got something here. And uh, here I am now, um, 15 months later, trying to solidify what I've got and build more momentum from it. Mm. But it's still very challenging because uh, my target audience is internal marketing teams, um, not agencies, because there's a middleman. And middleman means dilution and loss of potential information, especially creative information. Um I'm working closely with CEOs and um, decision makers, directors and internal marketing teams that I upskill. Mm. That's really what I'm doing. I'm future-proofing these um, businesses so they can dominate in the future. Mm. Yeah. We won't keep you for too much longer. Oh, mate, I'm enjoying it. Keep going. <laughs> but just a, just a couple of reflection questions. Yeah. So anything you might change along the way? Um, before I start my journey? Yeah, if just I came throughout. Back. Yeah. Uh, if I... If I was back in high school, I would definitely read more or discover Audible, hopefully a lot sooner, and just read the books that I read recently, more recently. Uh, Every cent that I make, I would only spend 10% of it. The other 90% I would have put in index funds into Mm -hmm. shares. Um, And then also I would, yeah, I would, I would take more risks. Yeah. As in my 20s, I would take more risks. I took a lot of risks in my 20s. And I'm very happy with them. But there's room for more. Hmm. Yeah. 
Final question. Yep. Question we ask everyone here on the podcast. Fifteen year old Sever sitting in front of you. Mm. What advice are you giving him? Uh, make sure that you focus on one thing at a time very well. It's mm-hmm. okay to do multiple things, but until you are better financially, um, financially more fit, mm-hmm. you have to hone in on one because buying your time back will take a lot longer. So what I mean by that is if you're focusing on one career but you've got other careers that you want to jump around towards, know that you're starting again, which isn't bad. But if you stick to one early and get to a point where you can have a system where you can sell it or you can teach it to someone and really scale it, then um, you'll be able to dominate um, everything else a lot sooner. Hmm. That is How Did I Get Here for today. Thank you so much, Seva, for joining me today. You can find us, student underscore edge on Instagram, student edge on TikTok, search us up, student edge, or How Did I Get Here on YouTube and head to studentedge.org for all our articles, podcast deals, competition, career tips, education advice, and much, much more. Seva, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.